Hi, welcome to the Alongsider podcast. Um, you're very welcome. And I'm really pleased to be able to uh, welcome a, a very good friend of mine, um, Robin Eurston, um, who can introduce himself. Um, interestingly, we met at a neuro leadership um, sort of conference, mini conference, uh, 14 years ago. And our friendship has uh, been sustained there with various things. And perhaps we can share a bit about that. Um, on the other uh, conversations we've had, I've shared uh, something about the Enneagram type of the the participant. Um, for those who aren't aware, if you have a look at my website, you can there's there's some explanation. But effectively, it's three thousand years observation of people uh, and the difference that separates perhaps us uh, around personality is our motivation for using our our energy. And uh, and I'm very pleased to say that. Um, uh, Robin is a five, which is the quiet specialist, quite different from my own energy and motivation. And exploring that's been an interesting one as well. But look, no more ado. Um, Robin, welcome. And um, I just wanted to ask you, perhaps you might introduce yourself, perhaps how how somebody else who knows you well would introduce you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you, Philip. Yes, well, uh, I would like to introduce you to Robin. He was raised in a little village in the Scottish borders, started work in 1963 as an electronics apprentice. He was actually one year older than the transistor. He then worked as a computer hardware and software customer engineer for IBM. And around 1990, he became interested in the leader and what he said uh, and did and the impact that that had on other people. And I got to work for him, uh, got to work for him as a leadership advisor. And boom, a seed began to grow. Recognized that this one man was way more complex than all the computing power we probably have in the world today. And he had feelings and he lied. He lied to himself without knowing he was lying to himself. That set Robin on a track to learn about facilitation of teams, coaching, NLP, neuroscience, and he's been learning ever since. Robin. Wow, thank you very much. And of course, as a true uh, quiet specialist, he uh, he, he uh, prepared something in advance, uh, glean from uh, everything else. Uh, you you actually just share with me actually how you came to 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 write that. Uh, would you would you just share how how that happened? How I how I came to write this about Robin? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yes. Well, uh, you we mentioned a bird. You mentioned a bird. <laughs> oh, a bird. The, the kite. You uh, the kite, yes. Uh, okay, I see what you're saying now. Okay, yes. Well, the story of Robin, yeah. I, I wrote this uh, a little time ago, uh, probably about uh, almost 10 years ago. But uh, let me just read. Uh, mm -hmm. So, I'm watching a bird, a red kite, float effortlessly. It has a five to feet, six feet wingspan above my garden in the Chiltern Hills in England and wondering what is life like for him or her. I notice other birds flying past, which seem to be asking, how come I have to flap like mad to stay in the air and you seem to be in such wonderful control? The kite is just floating along, an occasional swoop to pick up carrion and find out it wasn't actually food, then gracefully back using the air to maximum advantage. Seems to me life as a red kite in the bird world is almost ideal almost as if he were designed perfectly for his life. I thought then about myself and how my life compares to the kite. 
graceful in movement? Maybe not at the moment. I was a tad overweight. Not quite got the balance of input and output that the kite has. Maybe, though, I'm becoming graceful in other ways. What takes up the kite's attention? Like me, has a brain, or maybe smaller and maybe less complex. And there will be patterns locked into that brain, just as there are patterns locked into mine. I wonder if he finds all the patterns useful, or like me, finds some of them not helpful. Actually, since he is probably not consciously aware of his thinking, as we are able to be, there will never be an answer. I imagine, though, that his life is lived in the present moment, all there ever is, and he's not taken up by thought patterns referencing the past or the future. That's interesting. Like Eckhart Toller says, living a life of inner peace. You cannot touch the past or the future. You can only construct patterns of thought about them. How much time do I spend in these patterns of past and future, regretting, worrying, building up resentments, reliving past experiences, feeling good or bad about things, planning to do something in another moment that's not quite here yet? What if I were perfectly designed for my life? How would I be thinking? What would I be doing? Where would I be? Who would I be with? What would I be feeling? What would I be caring about? What would be important to me? What would my purpose be? How would I know when I'm working as designed? Who designed me? What is it I need to do, actually, to become me? How do I be me? What do I need to know? The Red Kite, of course, has probably not constructed any of these questions and has learned just what she needed in order to live her life out fully, instinctively. For humans, well, yes, we also learned a lot of things by instinct, and we learned a lot of other things as well. We've also had the conscious experience of life to color how we are. It may be that we have as a human being much more to learn, or perhaps unlearn, as we shall see, in order to become our complete and fulfilled self, so that we know we are complete and fulfilled. That is why, along with great support and help from my wife, Jill, I have begun my writing. The writings uh, provide some pointers to ways of thinking, being and doing that will help you, as they have helped me and others, to become more fully themselves, working as designed. I have to acknowledge that the insights and learnings I will share were picked up over many years, and I've had time to assimilate them. You're going to read them and for sure think, yeah, I've read that somewhere else and it fits with what I know. Whoa, what's he saying here? That uh, doesn't make sense. That's really helpful. What on earth is he talking about? That's okay for others maybe, but it doesn't apply to me. Well, it's just wrong there. And oh, yes, that's good. I hadn't thought of that before. So I spent uh, many years, as I just said in my intro, uh, working with a large computer company. My first job was fixing hardware faults where the computer itself is broken. My experience in that taught that hardware will actually break. For example, the electrical connection has physically parted from a component on a circuit board. The trick is how to find which board, which component. The printer no longer prints clearly, maybe due to an electronic failure, uh, a timing pulse arriving at the wrong time, or a mechanical failure, a clutch is slipping somewhere, or for many other reasons. Uh, I would say it was easier to fix a problem when we had what we called a red light fault, i.e. the machine had detected something wrong, using its self-checking capability, turned on a red light and stopped everything. These faults immediately caught the attention of the customer, 
who wants his system back so payroll can run. Otherwise, none of the staff gets paid. When called to a fault like this, we could normally rule out a lot of things that were not causing the fault and focus on what the machine's reasons were for turning on the light. It's interesting to look at the thought patterns I produced working to fix these things. Mostly, they are negative. I'd spend ages finding out what the fault wasn't. This tended to spill over into other parts of my life and create a cynical neg negative view. Then for one brief moment, positive affirmation, we'd found it. Change this component and the red light went out, then on to the next customer. And more looking at things that were not the fault. Faults are more difficult to fix when the symptoms appear intermittently. And I can remember conversations with computer operators in the middle of the night, asking, what kind of smell is it making? Or is it a high-pitched kind of tinkling sound? Or a deep, more grungy? Ah, switch it off now. I did this for about 12 years or so, and basically was bored. The diagnostic tests were getting better and better at telling us what to change or set up. And then I trained as a program support rep or engineer fixing software. Whole different world. Software doesn't actually break. You can't touch it, smell it, feel it. Each fault that it suffers from is a design fault, i.e. the person who wrote it hadn't, for example, considered a specific set of circumstances arising and therefore not written the code in a way that would deal with those circumstances. This was much more of a challenge to fix and stretch my thinking way more than the hardware. It was also during this time I received some very telling feedback. A wise manager called me into his office one day and said, Robin, you know, you're a very passionate man with very strong views and opinions. Trouble is, they're all negative. I can't use negative. How about you use your power positively and help me by bringing solutions rather than problems? It was like a bright light turned on inside my mind. Why was I so negative? The years of fixing problems and being focused constantly on negativity, broken machines, software was not going doing what it should, i.e. this is not the fault, had conditioned my mind, laid down thinking strategies, great for fixing hardware and software problems, not great in relationships with people. I began to change slowly at first, so my managers, so my engineering mate, sorry, didn't think I'd become some kind of manager's lapdog. As I did so, I found the power of a positive attitude. Moving into a more specialist role in the early 1990s, began to work with managers and leaders and started noticing the effect of what they did and said on my fellow engineers. Although some of the effect was good, an awful lot of it was not. Now I really started to get interested in people. One thing I learned was people are many, many times more complex than any hardware or software system. <laughs> and, and they have the feelings and emotions and they lie. Here then was my vocation. I began training as a coach and facilitator and used these skills to help leaders and managers, teams work in ways that brings out the best from people. That was uh, back in the early 90s. And I've been practicing ever since. Now left the large corporation and work independently as a leadership coach. My story. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Uh, one thing that immediately comes to mind uh, was the trigger of the intervention from the other. That's yes. On a different track. And that could be a machine that does that or whatever. And you said that software was lacking in that intelligence, if you like, to actually yes. self-correct. Um, and what I experienced, and I'm sure that those listening to it, and they might want to hear it again, what you said, yeah. it, was so, it was very, very rich what you shared. 
um, is uh, it was a self-reflection. So yes. in a way, it was you being alongside you. Yes. Um, and that is a really powerful place to be because it raises awareness. And um, and I don't want to sort of leap to another yep. place completely, but I know one of the things we've been talking about um, uh, is um, maybe we'll go back to how yep. we met with Carlos in a moment, but yep. um, was this thing about consciousness? Yes. And it seemed to me that 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 there's a this is again a very rich area. It's a conscious of self, of yeah. other. And I asked yeah. you to introduce yourself as if somebody else would. Yeah. And you did actually, because yes. of you on the reflection. Um what have you been learning about this consciousness? Uh um Yes. Yes, I, I think uh uh you know Renny Rennie, what's his name, Descartes, mm. said, I think, therefore I am. But uh, as I've been looking into the, the world of consciousness and what it's all about, it's not I think, therefore I am. It is I am and thinking happens. Yeah. And we can move to a place where we become aware of our thoughts. If we can do that, we are certainly not our thoughts. But what is this awareness? And that's really fascinating. And that, for me, uh, could be related to a, a level of consciousness. And there's a whole area there to explore uh, consciousness levels, uh, the conscious leadership group, mm. the uh, ways of talking about that, and, uh, helping us uh, understand a little more. By the way, Philip, what's triggering in me also is all this we're talking about now has been there since humanity began. Yeah, it's yeah. just how people have written it down, how they've shared it mm. uh, in philosophy, in religion. <laughs> and, you know, the, we've all shared it in different ways, but it's exactly the same stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And and funny enough, the Enneagram, uh, I think, because it's, I mean, it's 3,000 years at least, it's yeah. be older than that. And every um, wisdom tradition has, has it yeah. clearly influenced it from the East to the Desert Fathers to the Sufis to... Chinese, uh, yeah, all and uh, and it is a revelation of what is. Yes, um, and 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 it was all a bit going back into your story. Yes, uh, I was interested. Uh, I mean, you told me. I remember um, that you were there when they connected the first mainframe computers with the telephone. Oh yes, yes, <laughs> uh, and this thing about connectivity. Um, uh, when uh, you and I met, it was with Carlos, who was a, a Chilean. Um, and the three of us um, were slightly underwhelmed with what we heard at the Neuro Leadership um, right. Conference because I think we'd heard it all before in a yes. way. There wasn't much added. Right. Uh, I think we do that quite a bit, actually. But anyway, we, we had a fairly um, – we had a lovely chat outside, and we said, well, shall we meet again right. uh, for another conversation? And, uh, and I, it was suggested uh, that, well, what are we going to talk about? Because we all need a reason yes. to meet. Yeah. Uh, so what about we talk about wisdom right and um we i we met i think for about four years talking about yeah. wisdom. you know um yeah. and, and the place we ended up at was it was about the quality because we live we work in or we exist in people systems yes uh and it's what makes them um what they are is the quality of connection between the people in there, which is probably under an overarching aim. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, and um, ultimately, it's a, we called it conductivity. Yeah. Um, which could be rapport, but it, it, it was deeper than that. So it's that bandwidth of conductivity. Yeah. And I wanted to connect that conductivity, which comes from quantum mechanics and the yeah. everything's connected with some with energy. That's the fundamental flow that's there. But how you um, how was it that you got uh, from electronic engineer um, at different levels to the CEO saying, Robin, I'd like you to help me with my leadership development? Yes. Yes. I mean, how was that? Uh well, like I said in my story, uh, I can't remember exactly how I got to work for him because he had, uh, you know, managers working for him, second and I don't know if they were third line managers, but they fought up a greasy pole to actually get there. And somehow I appeared on the team. Right? I mean, I knew them all, etc., because we'd all grown up together and, mm. you know, uh, they were past they were engineers in the past all the managers mm. and uh it, it still baffles me how i got to work for him but i did and he began to change uh as i worked with him but so, what was it do you think he saw in you that, that he wanted alongside him yes i think uh i probably was uh very straight with him mm. so i gave him some very uh, the initial thing would be some very straight uh, feedback, uh, not judgmental or anything. You know, it's almost like, you know, what I'm observing is, is this, right? Are you aware that that, that is having an impact on, on people? Mm-hmm. And I think something then clicked within him, right? And, you know, this was back in the early 90s. So a lot of the stuff we talk about today just wasn't around <laughs> so no I, I would suggest to you that what you had was a an innate conduct conductivity um between right. uh right. That, that wasn't fabricated it was it it, it yes. emerged from a whole range of different yeah. things you know the fact you've been around you were trusted you you know you, he knew yeah. you've got the technical understanding of the the context yeah. and everything else um dare i say it um that could be a pretty good description of a good coach actually for yes. me sort of thing so but yes. but the the words weren't there were they because in in those days i don't know that anybody actually used those words no, no they didn't. and uh it was interesting being a coach back then because at ibm if you had a coach you were a bad bad man it was remedial, remedial. yeah 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 and I, I went to the metaphor you know of uh somebody like tiger, tiger woods the golfer uh, he has a coach. It's not to teach him how to play golf. He knows how to do that, right? So what, what what's causing him to miss hit? Yeah. It's what's going on in his head. So that's where we need to actually work. Mm. But just on the uh, the quality of connection, conductivity, you said one of the key things for me uh, is is the quality of connection we have with ourself. In fact, I think there's a strong relationship with the quality of connection that we have with ourself and the quality of connection, therefore, we have with others. Yeah. And an awful lot of people in the world are very, very needy of connection from others because they don't have the connection with themselves. Yeah. So they want to do it with other people, but they don't realize, ah, I've got to connect with myself. Ah. And 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 how uh, how would you um, understand that connection with self? I mean, what what is what is that about? 
Yes, what is the connection with self? I think it's actually knowing yourself. So back in, you know, again, working in IBM, and I've maybe shared with you, Philip, before, but uh, when I was about 30, I suffered from acute anxiety, uh, which actually took me off work for uh, six months or so. Mm. And the process of that uh, acute anxiety caused me to have uh, agoraphobia. I was actually frightened to go out of the house. I couldn't walk to the end of the street without panicking and shaking, etc. I was on drugs and uh, they weren't enough because I woke up every morning feeling uh, anxious. So I would go, I would phone the doctor and say, I, I need stronger pills. Mm. And there's two or three little insights that came to me during this time. One was, he said, you are not getting any more deeper pills, stronger pills. What you are taking right now would knock out a horse. So no, oh. <laughs> that struck something in me. Mm. He, he then caused uh, or asked me to go and see a psychiatrist, uh, which, you know, was scary back then. Psychiatrist. Mm. Anyway, I was so desperate. Uh, I, I went to see this uh, psychiatrist. Another insight came. Uh, he uh, he started telling me a story about some uh, person, some guy who had a phobia about uh, the county of Fife in Scotland, just over the bridge from uh, Edinburgh. And he said every time he went on the fourth road bridge to get into Fife, he would start shaking and, uh, you know, really, really terrified. And that made me laugh. And what I recognized then was I hadn't laughed for the last six months. Wow. Mm. And then I started to think, where's my personality? I've lost that as well. Because some of my friends came round and they said uh, afterwards, you know, when I met them several months later, it was like talking to a zombie. Yeah. Then I had to go to work. Uh, I had to brace myself, get myself back into Edinburgh from the little town we lived in eight miles away. That was very scary the first time, but not quite as scary as going to work and actually wondering whether I could still fix hardware and software. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. So uh, the work was very good. IBM was very good. They, uh, they sort of paired me up with one of our specialists, and I just went around with him, so I didn't have to do it on my own. And we went to a fault uh, in a brewery, uh, a computer system in a brewery, I remember it. Scottish Newcastle, and it was a disk uh, data errors. Uh, we were looking at it, looking at it, and I suddenly thought, ah, oh, I think it's the belt that's driving the disk that's got static on it. And my friend John, the specialist, went, oh, yeah. And I went, yeah, I could still fix problems, right? Because <laughs> I'd done it and, and he done. And I had to then relearn my personality. Wow. And that, I think taught me, oh, uh, I didn't know then, but it taught me, I just learned who I am. <laughs> so, and, and that was a big uh, insight for me. So, mm, mm. and so if I did that, everybody does that. Yes. Uh, it, uh, the other thing that came to mind as you were talking about the conversation with these, uh, I think it was the, the doctor said to yeah. you, you're not having any stronger pills because you're already on stuff that's going to knock out a horse sort of stuff. Yeah. And what struck me was the strength that, that was driving this yeah. 
behavior or you know the, the beliefs whatever there's yeah. an enormous uh energy there yes which the pills are just there to sort of yeah. sort of knock it on the head sort of stuff that's right yeah um so um and and this whole well this for me this pattern of interve- intervention for you and yeah. interrupt somebody interrupted you know like you know how about if you you know instead of being negative you could be more positive yes yes um and which is a binary um yes. and it's a flip from one to the other and we talk about bipolar and uh, and i know one of the themes we've explored a lot is this binary that the, the and we now know that the brain is supporting this big time in terms of yes. do i recognize that do i not recognize that yes and i i i, I wanted to sort of um sort of pick up this theme of coach uh because i've experienced you with coach me yeah informally or formally uh we've also worked together yes, in, have, in yeah. groups and we've got some fantastic results working with groups yeah. um but i always remember that the place we started always was connecting yes and um getting to know each other yes and so this theme of getting to know myself who am i in different contexts and it strikes me that as we go through transition or change and that's often the yeah. the, the, the the context for coaching uh, it's can i be me in this new place and, right. um for me uh the the coachy and i got this from you i think was this yeah. fact that this person in front of me is perfectly able to be a good coach of themselves the yes. outsider of themselves and actually could also be a really good alongsider for others whether as a leader or influencer or whatever and yeah. that actually is what the world is uh the world needs this awareness yes uh tied to the context and i i just believe that uh that's what i've learned from you over many years you yeah. know and i always remember a um a conversation we had at the rac club um and i was going on about oh, i should do this and i should do this and 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 where we got to was why don't we just leave those silly shoulds on those biscuits which happened to be the tea biscuits we had yeah, so I remember yeah. and allowing it to let go because the should thing yes is a is a not necessarily a very helpful um, no there's always stress for someone when the word should must have to up to or is in a sentence for someone right yeah i think uh the other thing about uh people and you know getting to know themselves uh just like you said if we want to connect with someone else we have to get to know them mm. we also have to get to know ourselves in order to connect and with ourselves and one of the uh, metaphors i use when i meet someone new uh in a coaching situation is i imagine them as a beautiful creature in their mother's arms just pure awareness just looking you know a beautiful little baby somewhere between then and now <laughs> they they learned a lot yeah it's a bit helpful some of it not and it's usually the stuff that's not helpful that's pulling them down holding them back what whatever that actually is and it's getting them or helping them to begin to explore that yeah and shift it so um which actually brings up for me uh the, the description that some others you didn't say it, but I'll say it, um because yeah. uh, you told me about it that when you coach someone once described that that uh it was it was like a a, a velvet cloak put over you and the coach yes. 
And that is a very safe space in which to learn who I am and all the rest of it. Yes. I don't know if you'd like to share a bit about that. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, someone shared that with me uh, in IBM. And I started to become aware of it and think about it and think, well, what what is that? Because I'd had experience uh, of, you know, meeting people in a hotel foyer to have a coaching session. First time I've met this man, lady, um, we're talking and, you know, in in about 30 minutes into it or something, because of the subject we've actually uh, come upon, there's tears streaming down this person's face. They're crying and they don't care. Yeah. And so there is something actually happening there. And I thought about that uh, a lot uh, then uh, and since. And I think what that is, the cloak is actually presence. Mm-hmm. And when you're totally present with someone, the cloak appears. Yeah. Because because um, what um, comes up for me with that also is Eckhart Tolle. I'd, some of our listeners yeah. will have read, um, especially if you're under 40, uh, <laughs> the, the power of now. Yes. Tolly. Um, and picking up on what you said about these things emerge and they're the same thing over yeah. millennia, probably. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. the common factor is human human beings, isn't it? Yes. And the what he's his story is that he was in his twenties suffered from terrible depression. Yes. Crippling depression, in fact. And and then on his the eve of his 30th birthday, which is a, thre- a threshold, there's something about thresholds, I think. And, <laughs> yeah, so I was 30 when I got my anxiety. So there we go. And I I because it is something about that. Um some people call it growing up, you know. But I mean yeah. <laughs> that's another story. But he said that he was sitting there and something broke in. Um yeah. my words, which was, I would suggest to you, the power of the other polarity which is this positive yes um, and it uh, and i think you and i share the belief that um the creator how one conceives it of, of yeah. all things is actually in love with its creation yes uh and isn't actually angry and screaming and shouting and, and obviously this there's a lot of this isn't about being churchy or religious or anything no. else but um one of the people who you and i share um um and um a love for really is richard Rohr, who's yes. a Franciscan, and he's uh, he says amongst other things he's a great teacher. Yes, one on the enneagram, so he's a strict perfectionist. Um, right. But he he says that the, the nature of all things is order, disorder, reorder, and yes, and I'd suggest that that's what you're describing as well. Absolutely, yes. So and that, again, other words describing yes how things were, and I mean, we've got a we've got three grandchildren, the oldest. Yeah two uh and um she's clearly a two-year-old because <laughs> the brain is clearly yeah. growing and she's going through these periods of disorder now yes which it's called the terrible twos uh, yeah, yeah. it's most unfair really because it's extraordinarily creative time yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and a bit like the um formation of a team forming storming storming yeah forming and dis- uh, and performing and, yeah. the, and the, the bit that storming is always characterized as being negative. Yes. Actually, it's hugely creative. Yeah, and necessary. Yes, for growth and, yes. and awareness. Yeah. And But the, the ego uh, probably is going to defend uh, that. Uh, yes. Um, that, that 
change where it becomes vulnerable and becomes and I'd suggest to you that you could say that for an individual or a team or an yeah. organization. Um, I mean, yeah. IBM, when when it decided not to go into uh, small local computers that you put on your desks, you know, who yes. decided on that one um, and then did and then didn't keep the license and gave it to this little company called Microsoft. It's <laughs> yes, all these stories, but, um, you know, I'm sure that's not exactly how it worked out, but that's right. the folklore. Um, but these stories that we adopt and learn um and we bring to the coaching space yes the alongsider yeah i think you know you you mentioned the the ego there which uh is a, a pseudonym for uh, a power within us uh of uh, and now starting to believe more it's a power of homeostasis hmm. it wants things to stay the same because it knows how to do stuff here, how to be here. Certainly. People will stay in abusive relationships, even although the abuse is there every day or whatever. And you can talk to them and they will say things, yes, yes, he, he, she's really bad, but then they're very good for, you know, about an hour. And, and so I've got an excuse to stay. And we just have this pathological fear of change. And actually... Homeostasis does have another way. It's called allostasis, which is to actually embrace change. Mm -hmm. So it's not order, disorder, order, which is what homeostasis wants. It wants everything to stay the same, even although it's all changing. It's order, disorder, as you said, Richard Rohr says, reorder. Yeah. And he wrote that beautiful book, uh, many books, but uh, the one I liked was Falling Upwards. Yes. And where he talks about the first half of life is all about building this container. Then you wake up and you recognize, okay, we need to deconstruct this container and start afresh. Yeah. Yeah. Reorder. Uh, which is uh, frightening, isn't it? Or could be. <laughs> could be frightening. Yeah. We are taught it's frightening. Could I, could I, th I'll throw this at you, but, but you mentioned your own experience of um, seeing a psychiatrist and, yeah. uh, and dealing with something in here, which is sort of the untangible, it's not a broken yeah. leg, it's a, something else. Um, and you use pharmacology to, to yeah. treat it. So, uh, but actually, it sounded like there was an awakening, even through the fog of the whatever the, the, oh, yeah. the, 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 the was part of the process towards. Yeah, part of my being, growth. <laughs> yes. Well, being re re reordering. And reordering. I, yeah. And I just wonder, because at the moment, um, you know, there's there's so much uh, talk about mental health. Yes. Um, and I just wondered uh, if you were going to uh, uh, disorder and reorder the word mental health, what word would you use or words? Yes. Uh, uh, if I was going to reorder that, I think it would be... It's the word that's coming to me is mental appropriateness. Mm. So the mental state is appropriate for whatever, what is, what's happening uh, right now. Because that's about appropriating what is. Yes. But that isn't it. That's about making it uh, yes. your own, I guess. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, that plays to, well, none of us actually know, we're talking about what is uh, the definition of reality. It's a good one, what is, but none of us know that. All yeah. we know is the representation that we build of it. 
and put in our mind. But then we act as if that representation that we just built of reality is the truth. And if you have a different representation, then you're wrong. (laughs) And that's what then plays out. And that causes uh, a lot of uh, mental mental, uh, anguish. Yeah. But it's taught anguish because we learn this is how it should be. You go back to your shoulds, right? And it and it's not they're not doing what they should be doing, you know. Uh, it was interesting that you laughed about the guy walking across the bridge to Fife. Yes, uh, with you, and you, that triggered a laugh in you. Yes, um, and presumably because it was ridiculous. I don't, would you know what that was? Uh, I think it was. Uh, as a bit of Scottish humour, probably, because you know what's to be afraid of in the kingdom of Fife. You know? okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I think that was uh, that was part of uh, what made me laugh. So, and that, and that actually is the cathartic awareness, isn't it? A breaking yeah. in of well, actually, what is there? What is there? Because fear, yeah, is um, is a response of the brain because yes. it doesn't recognise it or has created uncertainty. And and I, it's interesting, and I not necessarily the subject of this call, but, but, but this relationship between the ego and the brain. Yes. Um, you know, the, the uh, and then again, Richard Raw would say about, you know, it's not just Richard Raw, but, but ultimately what we're doing as we grow up is we master the ego um, as such that who we really are yes. can rise up and, and be present. Yes. And I think it's, uh, you know, the ego is necessary for us. It's uh, it's our learned ways so that we can survive in this complex world of human beings that we actually grow up in, cultures, whatever, right? We need something to be actually driving us. But the issue comes, as I think uh, Richard Rohr says and, and Eckhart Tolle, is when we stay with that ego for the rest of our lives and let it drive the show, right? And, uh, you know, you know, I have a phrase which I, which is on my website, which says, uh, is your mind your master or are you the master of your mind? Mm-hmm. And, you know, our mind is our master because the ego is driving it. We're in autopilot. We engage autopilot when we wake up in the morning, we let our brain just deal with the day, whatever actually happens. Once we are able uh, to become more conscious, more aware, then we recognize, ah, that's my ego playing that, right? Mm-hmm. Or I'm having thoughts about that. Or I'm representing this in a really bad way. Why am I doing that? And it's getting to that place of awareness that I think is the the true uh, journey for me. And, you know, you, know, you said, uh, find your place, find your time. For me, our place is inside us. Mm-hmm. That's the place we really need to find is that place beyond our or above our thinking and beliefs and everything else. And, and, and so, and the, the second part of that is taking yeah. your place. So, because it seems to me that, that um, this is a lifetime's work and it's yeah. contextual and it changes at different times. I mean, I talk to people at, say, the third part of their lives, so maybe their 50s, 60s onwards. Yes. Uh, and, um, and I, you know, uh, you're a very youthful <laughs> uh, energetic of your of, of where you are. I mean, there's plenty of people who who are thinking, well, what next, or where am I, or whatever. And it does interest me because it seems to me that 
um, there's good reason why we have uh, different generations coexisting. Yes, because there's something that we can learn from each other, and that and that and now even more than ever, um, those who've been through stuff, yes, and come out the other side can give certainty and comfort to those who are just starting, yes, uh, and just beginning to experience it to support them through these transitions. So, um, I like just, the elders in in villages of past. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, and and that the the intention is to build up, and so the whole idea of of moving, and it seems to me that particularly in the West, uh, where you've got this those with control of the purse strings power, yes, yeah, and the disconnect between other generations, which is a generation gap, but actually it's in service of everyone that both yeah. align and work together, um, and of course with technology, which has been so fast changing uh, what in your experience was you can do one of these you know iphones or i know i know know. more power in that than they had in the whole of scotland yeah i mean it's it's amazing and i just wonder what would you say would be the qualities of a good alongsider whether one one is the the maybe in the earlier generation or or later or in or in the middle that would would help connect um, you know, allow conductivity to flow and, and yeah. therefore awareness to rise, consciousness to rise, to make better decisions. Yes. I, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, I'll talk about uh, those qualities in a second, but one of the key things for me is education. Mm-hmm. We don't know what happens within the brain, etc., etc., because science hasn't quite got there yet, uh, and it's still up in the air about what consciousness is or is not, etc., And as a consequence, we don't actually teach children anything about that. We just let them form their own patterns, as you said, in the terrible twos, et cetera, right, about what is good to do, bad to do, uh, what makes me upset. And and then we learn little programs like, well, I've got to be perfect Mm -hmm. or I've got to get everything right or I've got to please everybody. When I please everybody, I feel fine. But that program then runs for the rest of their lives Mm -hmm. until the start to take care of it but i think uh the qualities you talked of i think we mentioned one already presence being there for me Mm -hmm. second one would be listening yeah third one would be asking wise helpful questions to help me grow and learn and you know there's a nice phrase I like is uh, you can tell a clever person by the answers they give and a wise person by the questions they ask. Mm-hmm. So asking the, the helpful questions. Uh, the next quality would be non-judgmental. Yeah. But we're programmed, taught to be judgmental, and the, the including being judgmental of ourselves, which has got a huge effect on humanity. And the the last one I've got here is reminding me constantly to be myself. Everyone else is taken. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. And and it's interesting. Uh, you know, you asked me yesterday, um, yeah. what are you? Well, is there a format, etc.? Oh, yes, yes. And uh, and of course, and you said I am a five. I would yeah. like that. You know, I am a five. Well, yeah. I am a two, and I, and actually, I quite like to see what happens. But actually, we need both. We do. 
um, and um, and as a result, I think everybody has heard um, you did think about this, and it was it was it was brilliant. Um, yes. I have to say thank you for being alongside me uh, for 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 many years, but um, and particularly when I faced something I didn't really know how to deal with. Um, I- amazing on that. But I know you've shared something today, which is very special. And I thank you for that as well. And I know all of our listeners are going to be very grateful. Is there anything else you want to, you would like to add? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the things you, you asked about was the Enneagram, right? Mm. And, uh, share my type, which is a, which is a five. Uh, and, you know, what's, how has that influenced me learning about the Enneagram from you and from, uh, going on courses, et cetera, et cetera. And what I, what I came to was the big insight I've had from the Enneagram training. And it's only happened just in the last uh, six months or a year or so. I'm talking to you is we all have access to everything we need within us. Yeah, We have access to all nine types. We just don't know that because we learned we were programmed growing up to be just the one type and think, this is it. This is how I am. Mm. But it's not. We have access to all of that within us. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's the real key for me. We can have access to all the wisdom we actually need, uh, to every way of uh, approaching something, how to think about something. So, you know, I need the qualities of the heart as well as the head, yeah. the gut. Yeah, yeah. And it strikes me, as you say that, uh, is this thing, you know, which is a truism, um, one size does not fit all. Right. That's a constant surprise, it seems, to to the human being who always likes things to be the same. Like, <laughs> it's summer, now the leaves are falling off the trees. What a surprise. Every year we're surprised. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but, of course, it's just adapting, uh, and human beings are extraordinarily adapting. So, uh, yes, um, I know you're very hopeful. Yes, uh, I think we share that. And, yeah. uh, but listen, I hope that this is useful for everybody who's listened. And uh, once again, Robin, uh, thank you so much for that. Thank you, Philip.